Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church. Let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through the end here, through 28. A little bit to read, okay? So if you're able to stand, please remain standing. It says this, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then I'm going to continue reading. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. You all may take a seat. All right, well, good morning. morning. Excited to be here with you um, in person. For those of you that are tuning in live, thanks so much for tuning in uh, into the stream. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I get to be your teaching pastor for uh, this Sunday. And so we're closing out the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's been our summer series where we did a preaching cohort. We had four different men kind of go through this cohort primarily with David for about 12 weeks. And they got up here and they preached uh, for you. They did an excellent job, super fun way to do uh, just leadership development. Yeah, you can clap. You can celebrate those dudes. It's a scary place to be for sure. Um, and then I want to just give just a quick announcement. Um, I'm not sure if we have this slide. I wasn't here this morning for the meeting we do. First Samuel will start next week. And so if you recall, in January, if you've been a part of HCC for very long or for that long, uh, in January, we kicked off a series called Lest We Turn, where we looked at, looked at, sat in the Old Testament and looked at what happened whenever Israel would turn to God and what would happen whenever Israel would turn from God. And then what can we glean from that? And then we took a break as we went into First Thessalonians for the summer. And then now we are coming back to conclude the series on Lest We Turn First Samuel. So we'll be able to give you some reading material, help you follow along uh, with us in that. Super excited uh, for First Samuel. I've been wanting to preach First Samuel for like four years. So hopefully I serve you well uh, in that. Um, I'm excited for it. So as we close out First uh, Thessalonians today, we have the Apostle Paul, and uh, he gives us what we would call a benediction. We've read it almost, almost every week during the summer. We've read the, the exact same thing at the end of our service, which is what I just read, kind of this sending. And so Paul is kind of giving these uh, final exhortation to the church in Thessalonica. And what he's really doing is he's explaining for us what it means to be a gospel community. 
uh, what it means to believe the gospel. Whenever I say gospel, I mean the story of God from creation all the way through new creation where Jesus comes back up to and including most certainly Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, just all of that looped into one thing. The gospel is not just a track to be passed out for salvation. The gospel is the meta-narrative of the Bible. It's a framework. It's how we should view and see everything. And so Paul is saying this is, a, this is what a gospel-centered community looks like, not just folks that profess faith in Jesus, not just folks who show up on a Sunday and kind of check that box to feel good about themselves, not just people who would show up to what we would call a missional community and kind of check that box and then do nothing throughout the rest of the week. Like, that's consumerism, okay? Programs don't make you a Christian. You tracking? Jesus makes you a Christian, and then you respond in some of those areas, but you respond most certainly far above and beyond those areas as well. And so he's laying out for us, what does it mean to be a gospel-centered community? So here's the big idea. That's what we're going to see. God has not called you to do anything for him that he has not already done for you. Okay, God has not called you to do anything for him that he has not already done for you to earn you, to give you salvation. There's nothing so astronomical, and there's nothing we're gonna read today that we should say, oh my, I could just never fathom doing that. Uh, and, and if you do, if you do go, if your heart takes you there, just remember, these are the very things that Jesus has done for you. If you're sitting in the room and you're like, man, I don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you're a, a not yet Christian, or maybe you're just skeptical. Maybe you're a seasoned Christian that's just been going through the motions, and you haven't felt the presence of Jesus in quite some time. My hope today is that in the text, just as we're reading it, you would see the character of Jesus, that you would begin to see the gospel, like, who is this Jesus Christ that we have been called to follow? So there's three points then to help build out this big idea. Real simple, honor your leaders. Honor yourselves and honor God. Three simple, simple points. We're gonna start with honor your leaders, okay? If you're ready, say I'm ready. ready. All right, thank you. Here we go, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so first Paul starts with um, how the church, that is specifically how the people of God collectively should approach the leadership of their church. And it's um, my understanding, he's talking more specifically here about pastors, not just every leader, but those who are over you in light of being a pastor. And so as we've learned in First Thessalonians from the men that have preached, is that this is a new church plan. Uh, here in Thessalonica, it was a highly pagan culture. What that means is it was a not Jewish culture. They still had their religion. It was just a pagan religion. So they had 30,000 different gods that existed in this culture. Anything that they wanted to do, and they wanted to be able to justify it from a religious perspective, all they had to do was say, well, I worship the God of, boom, fill in the blank. And then they had the freedom and the right to kind of do whatever they wanted to do. They had full moral autonomy there. Anything you wanted to do, you could do. So what they could do. So what does that mean? That means that they were their own leaders, right? Like who, who's going to tell them no whenever you can just create a God and then that God will just justify your actions. You can be your own leader. You can be your own God in that moment. That's how this region was. And so clearly this has come into the church and Paul is addressing this issue, which is pretty clear here in the text, right? Folks were not respecting their leaders. And so Paul says, brothers, a term of endearment. He's not coming in commanding. He's saying, brothers, let me ask you to respect your Leaders. Now, this is important to note here, okay, before we get any further into this. Not all leaders are respectable, okay? Just because you have a title doesn't mean you're respectable. 
Just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're a respectable pastor or a missional community leader or a parking director or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what your title is, okay? Does it dang? <laughs> Keep that in mind, Mike Self, okay? Now everyone on Facebook knows who I'm talking to. Just because you have a title does not make you, listen, doesn't make you admirable, right? It doesn't make you honorable. It doesn't make you godly just because you have a position in the church. There are a lot of Christian leaders that are not honorable. There are also a lot of Christian leaders that are effectively not Christian. And so whenever we sit in this room, I come in this room, and I know, like this room alone, there are multiple experiences across all the people sitting in this room and that are watching online where you've had really incredible experiences with leaders, but some of you have had insufferable experiences with leaders. Okay, their time is coming. We might get into that in a bit. For some reason, though, there is this fallacy that says once a leader is in leadership, they should no longer be held accountable. Look here, not in this house. That's not how we roll here. You with me? That goes for me, too. You tracking? Whenever you become a member of, of HCC, we put in our covenant what pastors are called to do, biblically. Not, not like what I think that we should do, not what the culture thinks we should do, but literally put in there's a whole page. If you're a covenant member, you know, dedicated to what do the scriptures say that pastors are called to do? Because I, like, I want that accountability. We need that accountability. It's not that someone's a pastor and now they're untouchable. That's ridiculous. Right? Instead, we need to be held accountable. So what I would ask then, seriously, I would seriously ask, just right now, you don't have to raise a hand or anything, off the top of your head, do you know the biblical expectations for your pastors? Could you write them out on a whiteboard or on a sheet of paper? Do you know the biblical expectations? I'm gonna share them for you here in a bit, but, but to leave a pastor without accountability, listen, is as equally as sinful as the pastor's sin that he might be in to not walk with him, to not hold him accountable, not just for pastors, but for leaders in general. Here's an example of wrong expectations. You may give you that. Uh, we were hanging out with a pastor this week, an incredible, fun uh, pastor. He got an email from one of his people, and it said, and I quote, your job, okay, your job is to wear a coat and tie. That's it. I thought, dang, I never worked there. <laughs> Kit, no t-shirt and skinny jeans, not one of those? Okay, got it, yeah, okay, right? Was that on the application or whatever? <laughs> Your job is to wear a coat and tie. Oh, my gosh. I know a lot of heretics who wear a coat and tie. Just turn the TV on at 3 a.m. in the morning. You can find them right there begging you for money, right? A ton of terrible leaders that I know that wear coats and ties. Not honorable in the slightest way. What is that email really saying? That email is really saying your job is to look the part, but don't worry about playing the part. Right? Your job is to meet my expectations. It's not to meet God's expectations. It's lady who wrote this email to him. Your job then is limited to Sunday morning and a platform, not what you do throughout the rest of the week. But rather, you need to meet my expectations. In order to properly hold pastors accountable, listen, you have to know what the Bible says. And so as we enter in further into chapter five here, Paul lays out, here's some of the things he says. Kelly, if you could just leave the text up for me. Here's some of the things that Paul says. We're just gonna hit all these in, in all these points. He says, respect those pastors when they labor among you. I think you need to back up one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, respect those who labor among you and who are over you. What does it mean to labor among you? I heard a pastor say once, a shepherd should smell like his sheep. It's kind of gross, right? But you kind of get the point. Fortunately, all y'all are like into essential oils and stuff. So when I leave, <laughs> I just smell like sage and patchouli, you know, it's like no big deal. But, 
or whatever, peppermint, whatever the season is for you guys. But he says a shepherd, a shepherd should smell like his sheep. It's a pastor's job to spend time with the people and not just in hospital visits after 80 years of faithful service as a saint. Like it is his job to be with his folks, to spend time with the people, not everyone outside of the church, but with his people and with not yet Christians. I had a guy a few months ago that wanted to meet with me, he kept trying to meet with me, and I kept giving him dates, giving him dates, giving him dates, and they wouldn't work. And so I have this, um, I have this saying where I say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Maybe you've heard me say that before. I'm like, hey, just follow me as I follow Jesus. That's kind of what my life looks like. This guy would not figure out a time to meet. He could not, wouldn't make it work, Okay. And so I finally just said to him, here's the deal, bro. I got to go to two missional communities this week. I have to go to do training and coaching in two different MCs. You can come with me. Just ride with me there, hang out with me there, and ride with me home. You're going to get about three and a half to four hours with me. Just follow me as I follow Jesus, dude. I don't have time for you. And, And I wasn't trying to be negative, but the reality is my calling isn't to go to every single Christian outside of the church. My calling is to be with my foot, with our, our people, with Heights community, and then not yet Christians. I don't have time to go hang out with Christians that may or may not want to call Heights Church home or Heights Community home. I have time for you, and I have time for non-believers that need to repent and believe the gospel. That's what God is calling me to. That is my calling. That's what it looks like to labor among you. I want to model for you. What does it look like to walk out gospel-centered community, and also what does it look like to hang out with not yet believers and be normal, (laughs) Just spend time with folks that are different than us, that think like us, process differently than we do, and to love them in the same effectual way that Jesus Christ loves them, to be the physical hands and feet to them. That's what it means to labor among you. And then Paul says, and are over you in the Lord, if you continue reading. Those who are over you in the Lord. Listen, not acting as if they are Lord over you. Those are two different things. Right? There's a lot of folks that are going to get up and they're going to preach fire and brimstone. They're going to tell you all the things you do wrong and never model the right things for you. He's not saying they're called to lord themselves over you, but rather these men who are called to this position are to be submissive to Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what it means like in the, the, to be over you in Christ. Pastors are appointed to point. That's what we're, that's what we're here for. Think about a construction sign, you know, when you're driving down the interstate and you got those big yellow arrows. That's basically all we're called to do. We're called to say, hey, it's time to merge. Hey, you got to merge. Hey, you got to merge. Hey, you got you to get over. It's time to get over. It's time to get over. It's going to go bad for you. <laughs> Told you. Told you. That was not going to go well for you. You didn't. It's called admonishing, right? We're going to get there in a minute too. Admonish. Hold account. That's literally it. Men, and these pastors are called to model what Jesus has Model, listen, you cannot model as a leader what Jesus has modeled if you're not in Christ. I mean, submissive to Christ, a physical expression. This is who pastors are going to be, a physical expression, a tangible expression for who this Jesus is. And here's the deal. That's a weighty calling, church. That's an intimidating calling to get up here in front of you and all these people that watch online and be like, yeah, it's my job to model Jesus for you. That immediately puts me in the literal spotlight, right? That's an intimidating calling. But it's also, man, the most honorable calling that one could have in the land. So what does it look like? How do we answer that question? What are pastors called to do? That's some of what I have to say, but what does the Bible have to say? I think you all have Timothy for me. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says this. The saying is trustworthy, okay? If anyone aspires to the, offer of overseer, the office of overseer, let's pause it overseer. The Greek word for overseer is presbyteros. So you get the word presbytery, presbytery, or Presbyterian church, perhaps. 
The word for presbyteros means overseer. It means bishop. It means pastor. It means elder. It means all of those. Men have separated those things. The Bible does not. Okay, you tracking? That's just for your own good. Anyone who aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. What's it saying? An honorable task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. What does that mean? Honorable. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not just on a stage, with his life, able to teach. Part of it is up here. Part of it is out there. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must, listen to me, this is one of the most important things you can see. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household church, how will he care for God's church? You want to know how someone's going to shepherd your heart? Watch how he talks to his kids. Watch how he treats his wife. Right? Does he know his neighbor's name? No wonder he can't remember yours. You track him? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Listen here. Somebody say, moreover. Moreover. Listen. Moreover. Equally so. Just as important as, comma. There's a lot of words we could put in there. Moreover, he must be well thought of by who? Outsiders. You see that? That's what should be on the resume. Not do you wear a coat and tie, but do you remember people's names? What do non-Christians think about you? What do non-believers think about you? I could care less about some woman writing me an email telling me I need to wear a coat and tie. I want to know what my neighbor thinks about me. You know what I'm saying? I want to know what the person thinks about me when I'm walking into Walmart, whether I greet them or just blow right by them. Like, that's what I'm concerned with. This is what it looks like. So he must not be a recent convert. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. That is not Christians. That's people outside of the church so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of a devil. This is what it looks like to be over you in the Lord, right? To be over you is to be under Christ, under the headship of Jesus. This characteristics, what we just read through, 1 Timothy 3, there's only one man that fully fulfills that. And he's not in this room, church. His name is Jesus. That is the very character trait, the nature of Jesus Christ explained to us in 1 Timothy 3. If you want to know who is Jesus as our lead pastor and senior pastor, you just read that over and over and over and over again. And then you read the Gospels and you're going to see Jesus start to come alive and you're going to see him model every single character trait that we just walked through. And tell me this. Tell me that's not somebody you wouldn't want to follow. Tell me that's not somebody you wouldn't follow into the gates of hell right? It's incredible. Be informed. Why are we doing this? Because you need to know, especially in a culture, there's so much misinformation. You need to know who and how pastors are called to act and how they're called to walk. Paul continues, and he says that they are to admonish you, and then verse 13, to esteem them, if they do these things, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Admonish means to hold accountable. Look here, it's impossible for someone to hold you accountable if they don't know you. How's someone going to hold you accountable if they're not doing life on life with you? If they're not sitting at your kitchen table with you every now and then, spending time with you out on the playground with your kids, how are you going to ever hold someone accountable? You can't do that. It's impossible to even be able to do that. I mean, I can do that from up here, and the Holy Spirit can move and work and ignite things and bring conviction and lead people to faith, but this is like 40 minutes if you're lucky. Sometimes it's a little bit longer, but right? Like, there's only so much I can do in 40 minutes, but I tell you what, when you come over for lunch and your family's at my house for three hours, hey, we can get some work done, can't we? We can get some work done. 
admonish them, hold them accountable, right? The calling of the pastor, man, in my opinion, is the most incredible calling that you can get. I, I pray that there's men in here right now that feel called the pastor. I don't think that they're, just think about it, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords calls you to be his physical representation. It's no different than the normal Christian. The normal Christian, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has also called you to be his physical representation. The primary difference there is that I get held accountable not only for my sin, but also for how I steward your sin. And that's a weighty calling. It's an incredible calling. I have this one-liner when I think about pastoring men is, and you've probably heard me say this, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. That's our calling. If you're a pastor in the room, a missional community leader in the room, if maybe you forgot what you're called to do or a director in the room, as I called out Mike earlier on accident, preach the gospel, listen, die, be forgotten. Preach the gospel with your life, not just on stage. That's easy. Preach the gospel with your life in every single scenario and experience. You're preaching the gospel with your life. And then to die, to live as Christ, to what? Die is gain. So while we're here, we're going to preach Jesus. And whenever we die, then we're going to go be with Jesus and then be forgotten. The reality for me is in 70 years, no one's going to know I existed. So I've got a little bit of time left to make a really, really big difference in the San Luis Metro East. You with me? And in 70 years, poof, I'm gone. No one's building a statue for Corey. Here's what they're going to do at high school. They're going to clean out my cubicle, and they're going to hire someone else. That's what's going to happen. Old man Corey finally kicked the bucket, you know? <laughs> He's gone. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. And listen here, it is an honor. There is no greater calling in the land. And I want to say this to you while I got you here on the line. I feel honored. Like, by you. I, I, I love getting to be a pastor in the church. I feel completely and totally honored. I rarely get ridiculous emails that say something like, your job is to wear a coat and tie, period. I wish y'all would, okay? <laughs> I would pull it up and say, right here, Mike Self said, you know. You can that <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Listen, it is an honor. Thank you for honoring me well. Thank you for honoring the pastors. Well, first thing Paul says is honor your leaders. I want to encourage you in that I do feel honored. Point two, though, honor yourselves. Now I get to admonish you. <laughs> okay, we'll get into that. Paul's not going uh, to call the church to do anything that their leaders are not called to do, and he's not gonna call their leaders to do anything that Jesus has not already modeled for them, right? So just kind of a waterfall down, right? Because not only should the, the pastor be laboring and, and, and walking alongside the church, but so also the church should be spending time with the church, right? There's none of this, like I have categories for different people that I hang out with. I have my church friends. I have my non-church friends. I have this sort of people over here. People will, will do that. I've learned that as I become a Christian. Like, oh, that's my church family, and this is my other family. No, like you're just called to be the church uh, among anyone, around anyone. Paul specifically saying, here's how we should work together. And there's a lot that he has to say in here. But before we get into it, let me say this. You cannot do, listen, you cannot do what Paul's about to call you to do if you don't know the gospel, like, you can try, but it's going to kill you as we get into this. Like, if, if you don't enter into this, like, reading this text and say, okay, this is first and foremost what Jesus Christ has modeled for me. He walked in perfection. Here's what he modeled. He died the death that I deserve to die. He resurrected, sent me his spirit so I can do these things. If you just come at this with a religious heart and say, okay, the pastor said and the Bible said, this is what I got to do, and you try to check these boxes off, dude, listen, it's going to kill you. 
It's gonna straight kill you. Like some of it seems easy, and then there's some of these little words in here that I'm gonna get to, and you're like, oh, dag, that's hard. It's really hard to do. So there's 15 things, okay? I'm like John Piper, if you know who that is right now. There are 15 things that Paul says here that you have got to do to honor yourselves as a church. If you wanna know what a gospel community looks like or what we call missional community looks like, this is what it looks like, all right? Here we go. Kelly, just leave it up for me. Be at peace among yourselves, the first thing that Paul says. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Last line. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Families can disagree without division. He's not saying don't, don't ever disagree. Like families sit at the kitchen table and we disagree. That doesn't mean that we have to divide. But no matter what season we're in, whether it be cultural or within the church, he says, be at peace. The next thing he says, verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. There's that word again, admonish the idol. That word means hold accountable, to hold accountable the idol. Now, I thought this was interesting as I got into the Greek, right? As I thought, oh, yeah, the idol, that's like the lazy. Yeah, there are a ton of lazy Christians that exist in the church, most certainly. I mean, most certainly. But then I started kind of digging in a little bit, and what it really says in the Greek is to hold accountable the unruly, or to hold accountable those who are disobedient, which then, if we're to push a little bit forward, a little bit further with this admonishment, what that means then is to be idle is unruly. To, to be idle, to do nothing is not just to do nothing. You're actually doing a lot. You're being disobedient in a lot of different areas. That's doing a whole lot, right? It's not just sitting, I'm not just sitting on the couch binge-watching Netflix and eating Cheetos, I'm actually being disobedient across hundreds of different avenues in my Christian walk. That's a whole lot. Does that make sense? He says, and encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage those who are lacking faith. What is he saying? Spur them on. Encourage them. Remind them of the gospel. Have them walk with you. Do life with them. Remind them of the story of God. Apply the gospel to their lives. Celebrate the gospel with them. Lift them up. Oh, sounds easy, but oh, is it? Help the weak, literally those who are physically ill or physically hurt. And then here's the one that I'm getting to where be patient with them all. I think if you're anything like me, I read this and I'm like, okay, hold, hold the unruly accountable, check. Encourage those who are lacking faith, check. Help those who are physically ill, got it. Be patient with them all, hmm. Hmm. So it's not like a, a one-time deal, like when you're physically ill or sick, I can't just bring you my casserole and then leave. Like I gotta be patient with you. Listen, patience requires relationship, church. You can't be patient with someone you're not in a relationship with. All right, this is about life on life here, gospel community. How quickly do we fail to honor the Lord in our approach to difficult relationships? Think about it, it is it is so hard. There's one scenario that came to mind uh, as I was working on this yesterday. Uh, in my missional community, there's, there should always be some people in your MC you don't particularly, you're not particularly fond of. We'll say it like that. Um, that's how you know you're doing it right, okay? And uh, a, few, a few years ago, a few years ago, we had uh, this real serious moment. Like, I'm talking, people are like praying, like a real serious prayer prayer moment together, like people were praying for marriages, people were praying for like miraculous healing, people were like praying, like it wasn't like that, Lord, I just got these unspokens, if you could just cover these unspokens for me, Lord, you know, that's all that's saying is like I got some stuff I don't actually want to deal with, so I'm not going to tell you about it, because then I'm bringing my sin into the light, and then I got to actually do something with it, it wasn't like that, it was like real, like real prayers, real heavy prayers, and this one individual said, she said, um, 
uh, God, if you could help me like avocados. I said, girl, what? Like, I got marriage failing over here, and I got, if you could help me, like, you got me, you want me to pray about avocados? Like, I wish she would have said, I got an unspoken. That would have been better, right? <laughs> Be patient with them all. It is difficult, dude. It's hard. It is so hard to be patient in that moment, to be pastoral and to be gracious. Like my body language is like, are you kidding me? You know, it's just so difficult. And yet, listen, and yet, I know I say it to be funny so I can hit you with something hard. When we fail to model patience towards difficult people, we simultaneously fail to honor Jesus and his patience to us. Right, in that moment, in my lack of patience, what is Jesus doing? Being patient. He's not called me to do anything that he himself was not first willing to do. So verse 15 then, let's just hit these. I'll just read them. Verse 15, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, uh, but always seek to do good and to, to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Last time I preached it said that about sanctification, right? For this is the will of God in Christ for you. Listen, this is God's will that he is giving us right here. This is how God commands us to live. This is just 10 of the 15. How are we doing so far? Just look at that, that list. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Rejoice always. How are we doing, church? Are we? Pastor Jeff led us to ask the question. Mark led us to ask the question. Are we rejoicing always? Are we, are we praying without ceasing? Are we giving thanks in all circumstances? For this is God's will. And partial obedience is disobedience. That's one of our elders, our pastors tells us all the time. This is God's will. Last five right here. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. A lot to unpack there. We're going to stick with just do not quench the spirit. What does that mean? That means to walk in a way that is contradictory to God's will is to quench the spirit. To do anything that is not in accordance with God's will is to quench the spirit, which means what? That means if I respond in only the way that Corey wants to respond in every situation, I am in fact quenching the spirit because I'm trying to be the spirit. I'm trying to discern in that moment, here's how I think I should treat you as I drop off this casserole and I no longer want to show you patience. Here's how I think I should treat you while I get up and mock you on stage for wanting to pray about avocados. Here's how I think I should treat you. And in that moment, I'm trying to be sovereign and I want to be God and I want to be the Holy Spirit. And the reality is like his mission will get done, church, but I'm going to get in the way a little bit. And instead, if I would just look at a situation and say, hey, I'm actually, surprise, surprise, Corey's not God and neither are you. And so instead, I'm gonna be obedient and I'm gonna walk in faithfulness and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna plead with the Father like by the power of the Spirit, could you just tell me what to do in this situation? And it might not make any sense to us. And yet, it makes all the sense to him. And his mission advances and people come to faith and folks begin to look more and more like Jesus. Just think about this. Just this last week, we can, I can illustrate this so easily. Uh, in the last week, this last week was incredible. I don't know how many of you were there at the skating rink in this last week, or if you're, if you're new to Heights, we put on this, I want to say we, David put on this kids camp with a slew of other people. Um, it was incredible. First of all, if there were like 80 plus kids there every day, sometimes diff completely different kids, so hundreds of kids that came through there, no doubt in my mind. On the last night there, we got to do 12 baptisms for kiddos, which is cool. People, we had whole families baptized. Yeah, you should like, yeah, I got to baptize John McLaughlin, by the way. 
Also sweet. There you guys are. There you are. See? I got to baptize John McLaughlin. But listen, think about everything that the Holy Spirit had to orchestrate to the glory of the Father to make that a little event happen. Like everything that had to happen. I didn't get permission from Mark and Kate to, to share some of their story, but I think they'll be cool with it. Mark and Kate had to move from Dallas to Pontoon Beach. Now, I don't have, a, okay, I don't have anything against Pontoon Beach, all right? But when you have Dallas, okay, DFW, and you got <laughs> the St. Louis Metro East, specifically Pontoon Beach, which one do you pick? Right? The, most, the majority of people are picking DFW. Right? They want to have access to kind of everything. They want to live down there in that area, right? We see DFW, you have Pontoon Beach, and here's what they do. They, listen, Mark, okay, y'all snicker at me. Mark tried to buy a skating rink. I hope he's here in the next service. Mark tried to buy a skating rink everywhere but Pontoon Beach. He tried so hard to not buy one in Pontoon Beach. He looked in Europe, okay? That's how bad he didn't want to go. He, he tried to put an offering on a rink, not even in our country anymore, Okay. And yet, listen, through prayer and through discernment, specifically through listening to the Spirit, ended up where they felt God called them to. And just think about the impact that family has had on some of us. Think about the impact that that family got to have on hundreds of people. We got to watch Mark and, and David and myself. Mark's baptizing people in his rink, dude. Like that was a dream that he had. He felt like it was from the Lord four years ago. And they just kept walking and being obedient in the midst of COVID and everything else that happened, right? They just kept listening and kept pursuing. Listen, that's not quenching the spirit. That's listening to the spirit and saying, man, not all this makes sense to me, but I'm looking at your word and it seems right and good and I'm hanging out with godly people and that seems right and good. It doesn't all make sense to me, but I feel as if this is the right move. It feels like a good godly move. Had they not listened, those people would probably still get baptized at some point in their life. They would probably still come to faith. God is sovereign. But because they did listen, like we get to enjoy that with them. We get to experience that with them. God gets to get all of the glory. They did not quench the spirit. Paul says, do not quench the spirit. That is, do not go on about things on your own. Don't just do everything on your own, but rather trust the God. And he trusts God. And here's the deal. It's not always going to make sense, right? Merging churches in the midst of a global pandemic does not make sense. And yet, did we not pray about that? Did we not fast about that? Did we not spend copious amounts of time in prayer as a church body about that? And yet, if anyone, if any entrepreneurial business owner would have came and said, came and counseled us, they would have said, heavens no. You don't ever start a business the day that everything shuts down in a global pandemic. Are you an idiot? We would have been like, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> Just dumb for Jesus, you know? And yet, look at the impact of that. Millions of pounds of food pushed out during the midst of a global pandemic. Thousands and tens of thousands of dollars given away to pay people's bills. Was God an idiot about that? No, we get to enjoy it. We did not quench the spirit. Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Here's how you know God speaks. We say this a lot. God speaks in three ways. God speaks through his people. He speaks through his word. And he speaks through his spirit. God speaks through his people, through his word, and through his spirit. Listen, if those three things do not line up, it is not of the Lord, period. He's not a God of chaos. He is not a contradictory God. He's a very clear-cut God. His people, his word, his spirit. If those conflict, it ain't of Jesus. You with me? Okay, Paul is calling the church then to be a gospel community, a community that trusts the spirit, trusts God's word, and trusts God's commands. And if we do that, we will lastly, then last point, we will honor God. I'll make this quick for you. Verse 23, Kelly, it says this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Hopefully, you have an idea of what that means if you're regular at Heights. 
Now may the God of peace sanctify you. That means make you look more and more and more and more like Jesus, if you're here for that sermon a few weeks ago. And may your whole spirit, listen, your whole entire spirit and your whole entire soul and your whole entire body be kept blameless. Listen, even though we're the ones to blame, church, like the work of Jesus is what makes us blameless, not our good works. Not knocking out all 15 of these things that Paul tells us to do, like it's a check, like it's a list of check marks that, or to-do list or whatever. That's not what gets us into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gets us into the kingdom of heaven. He says, may your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body be kept blameless. Do you not remember Genesis 3? I mean, Adam and Eve is whenever the first dishonoring of God comes in, isn't it? Adam and Eve are literally given everything that they could ever need. And any, everything we could ever fathom is given to Adam and Eve. And yet, what do they do? They choose more, just a little bit more. When's enough enough? When I have a little bit more. And they stop honoring God. Instead, they choose to honor themselves. They put themselves in a position of God. No more honor of God. And death enters into the story. And what happens? They immediately start to dishonor one another, don't they? They start quarreling and fighting. Like, all literal hell breaks loose on earth. Death enters into the story. Every single relationship is broken. Honor, no more. Perfect honor, no longer exists. That's not on God, church. That's on the people. That was humans that did that, not God that did that. Humanity is to blame. Well, I don't know. You know, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know if I can get behind all that. We killed Jesus, <laughs> the most honorable person to ever walk creation. The very ones whom he came to heal and to save killed him. I don't know what your definition of honor is, but I don't think that's it, right? Honor those that, you know, kill those that love you. Is that honor? No, not at all. It's ridiculous. So Jesus comes. He walks in perfection, completely and totally honoring his father, what Adam and Eve could never do. And he does it to the point of death. He, he initiates, brings death upon himself, the very death that humanity deserves. Jesus walks in honor, knowing that it's that that is going to get him killed. Him honoring his father is going to get him killed, going to get him sacrificed. He did the opposite of what Adam and Eve would do. He most certainly did the opposite of what we would do, because we don't do a good job of honoring one another all the time. We don't do a good job of honoring leaders all the time. We most certainly don't do a good job of honoring God. And so Jesus has to do what we were meant to do but could never do in and of ourselves. He walks in perfection before his father. He goes to the cross in our place as our substitute. He takes the death that we deserve. And then check this out. He resurrects a new life, sends us his spirit so that we can be seen blameless, even in our midst of dishonor, so that the father can look at us through the son and say, they're mine. Son, were you failed to honor me? I'm sorry. Church, where you failed to honor me, the son has honored me. And so I'll just receive that from him. What I cannot get from you, I will get most certainly from my son for eternity. And the beautiful aspect of that is that we get to respond in obedience. This is what Paul's calling the church to. We get to respond in obedience. And as we succeed, then we get to further identify with Jesus and his perfection. We're not perfect, but we get to identify with him in the way that he walks with his father. Listen, and it brings him honor. It honors God. And lastly, then, when we fail, and we most certainly will fail, yeah? When we fail, it simply reveals our need for Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. As we profess faith in the gospel again and again and again and again in our desperate need for him, man, it honors him. Because he's like, that's exactly why I came, to honor my father and to redeem you. Amen?
It's cool. You stand with me. Let's do communion. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. It's good. It's right. It's perfect. Uh, we mess it up. We tend to not even honor your word. We didn't even get into that. Um, so God, I pray for us now as we're preparing our hearts and minds to enter into offering and uh, communion. God, I pray that, that the gospel will be real, that it be known, that it be well received, God, for those that are in here, for the seasoned Christian in the room. I pray that their just affections would be renewed in Christ. For those that are maybe new to Christianity, hopefully they're picking up, learning more about who you are. For the skeptic that's in the room, may they have just an undeniable picture of who this Jesus is. And for the not yet Christian that's sitting here, God, I pray that you would open their heart uh, to see that everything that they're longing for in culture can only be found in Christ, most certainly not in the world. We pray all this in the sweet name of Jesus. All God's people said, Amen and amen. As we enter into communion, let me uh, read to you from 1 Corinthians. It says this. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, on the night when his best friend, listen, his best friend dishonored him. Think about that. Your best friend coming up to you, you're expecting a hug, and instead you get a kiss of betrayal, a kiss of dishonor. When he given thanks, he broke, it, broke this bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so communion is not a religious event. We do it every week. It's a redemptive event. So as you enter into communion and you see the cup, which represents Christ's blood spilt for you, and you see the wafer, which represents Christ's body broken for you, it's a reminder of his position and, and yours. It's, a, it's an action of honor. It's, a, it's an embracing of who Jesus is. And as you ingest that in, it, it has no supernatural effect to it, but as you ingest that in, you're reminded of the gospel. And it begins to form you and to reform you for honor, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. Is. So for those of you that are saints, feel free to take that communion uh, when you're ready.